Welcome to Singlehood Lesson 3. We call this Raising Your Standard and Courtship. We have previously taught on uh, in the beginning and what marriage is like and what singlehood is and isn't, what marriage is and isn't. And there are some pretty sobering things about marriage. You ought to go back and listen to verse 1 or uh, lesson 1 because marriage isn't what Hollywood makes it out to be. Uh, and, and then we looked at lesson 2 was uh, how do you find or where do you find your mate as a Christian. And we saw some very established doctrine in the Bible that you don't meet your wife at a bar. And you don't hook up with a woman at the fitness club because if you're hooking up with her at the fitness club, I guarantee you, you weren't looking at her spiritual qualities. You were looking at something else. And if you pick them up on the job, well, you have nothing but the job in common. You're both there and you just, it's very easy with the way our souls are designed that you get around somebody and you like them and you find, you know, they make you laugh and maybe they're kind of good looking and, and you just enjoy their company. That's really, really easy for you to go home and your soul starts daydreaming. And all of a sudden, they're just a coworker that you have nothing else in common but the job. But because we have a heart that likes to daydream, you can go home and someone you know nothing about, you start daydreaming about them and you like the affection and you like the attention, whether you're a guy or a girl. And before long, your heart gets set on them and you really have nothing in common except that you both have the same degree and you work at the same company. That's why you shouldn't marry somebody you work with or look to them like God's going to have to bring them to your job. What we saw in the previous lesson over and over and over again, the first four marriages in the Bible, which means precedent, is that the man was working for God in his kingdom. And as he's busy working for God in his kingdom, all of a sudden along comes a woman and she's working for God in his kingdom and they meet each other working for God in the kingdom. Because do you know why you get married? So you can be more powerful serving God in the kingdom. We have to take this back to the book of beginnings and see what God intended. Now, 200 years of Americana has dissolved things and we get married so we don't have to be lonely. We get married so we can have sex because you know true love waits to have sex. That's because it's all about sex, right? We get married because we feel like we won't be able to have children until we're 50 if we don't hurry up to get married. We get married because all of our friends are and always a bridesmaid, never a bride. We get married for all these dumb reasons except for what the Bible teaches. And because we're Christians and we love God in the Bible, we ought to look to do it the Bible way. So lesson two is a very convicting lesson, but if you have faith in Jesus Christ, it's easy to believe, it's easy to trust Him. I shared my testimony briefly that I left Knoxville being a geologist for an international firm to move, not even have a job, but to move to Indianapolis to go to Bible school because the Lord spoke to me too. Had no job, had no church, had nothing. I moved up there, I began, and I went to the church the Lord told me to go to. I was in prayer. He said, get among the assemblies of God, and I did. And lo and behold, I met the woman God had for me. She was busy serving in the kingdom. She was active in her church. She was active in the youth group. She was active in the college and career group. And she worked at a Christian teen pregnancy crisis center as a volunteer. She was God, 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 24-7. And I moved up there because I was chasing God, 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 24-7. And we fulfilled the Bible precedent. I was in the garden, she was in the garden. I was serving in the garden, she was serving in the garden. And behold, I looked up and here was this really pretty brunette with blue, blue eyes that squints when she smiles. In fact, Will was up there and, and when we went out to lunch one time when I had first met Manda and Will came up to visit and I said, do you remember this at the Mexican restaurant? 
And I said, I like the way she squints when she smiles. Her eyes disappear when she smiles. My daughter does it now too. She got it from mama. I didn't meet her in college. I didn't meet her at the bar. I didn't meet her at a backpacking club. I didn't meet her on the river rafting. This is how folks meet. I didn't meet her at the concert. I didn't bump into her at Sam Goody's. Some of you are too young to even know what a Sam Goody's is. is it, what is that? Is that a candy store? It's where you used to buy records. <laughs> no, I met her in the kingdom. And that's where you'll meet your spouse. So let us define, because I'm a strict, I'm a very strict courtship guy. I'm not for dating. But we'll find the balance of that. Because you're like, oh, wait, 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 we can't date? No, I dated my wife. But we're going we're gonna to split terms here. We're going to get into, this isn't semantics. We're going to define two separate terms, all right? Because I want to help our singles to really find who God has for them. If you'll consider that the church divorce rate is equal to the American heathen divorce rate, you realize the Christians don't have a clue what they're doing. And we ought to be leading the standard. We ought to have the standard. We ought to be the best example there is. So something's got to change. If we do it like the world, we get the world's results. And it's evident the church has been copying the world because the church has the world's results. 50% divorce rate. Let's look into these lessons and realize that since I'm Pastor Chris, I do nothing but raise the standard. I don't know how to have a low, mediocre standard. I like it really good. I like it really strong. I like it really high. Why make it a limbo when you can pole vault? And even if you don't hit it, at least you were going for it. Maybe you knocked the pole off the vault, but at least you tried. Keep trying it, you'll eventually make it over. So our first section here is called courtship. This topic must be discussed strictly in the confines of the Bible and outside of the constraints of natural cultures. Here is where I'm going to, as a minister of the gospel, strip the American culture out of you. It will be a little uncomfortable and you'll say, yeah, but, yeah, but. We don't care about your yeah, but. What does the Bible say? Every culture around the world is different, and the American culture is not a right culture. There are some good things about us, but because all we've ever done is live in America for the most part, some of us here from other countries, we think this is how the rest of the world is. Well, go visit another nation, dwell among them, and you'll see, wait a minute, the American culture is just one of about 10,000 cultures. We just think it's right because it's all we know. Right? Yeah. Every culture has different taboos, social norms, and expectations concerning courtship and marriage. What is expected by one culture is a mere afterthought for another. What one culture demands, another culture might scoff at. In Africa, if you're going to get married, you have to pay a dowry. We, had a, uh, we have a dear friend, Pastor Mark Nolan Levu. He was about to marry a woman. He had to pay a dowry of like 32 cows. This was just two or three years ago. It was going to cost him 8000 U.S. And this man has iPods. I bought him an iPod. This man has laptops. I think we bought him a laptop. This man is cultured. This man is eloquent. This man is, is a Zulu from South Africa, but he's a missionary to Botswana. And yet, in the African culture, he must pay a dowry. We laugh at that. They don't understand rings. But here in America, honey knows if I ain't got a ring, it ain't no thing. Even Beyonce taught us, you, if you liked it, you should have put a ring on it. That's the American culture. There, she'd have said, if she was African, if you liked it, you should have traded 30 cows for it. That's the cultural difference. Uh, other cultures, you don't, live, you don't move out of your home until you're married. So a woman would stay at home until a man came to take her after he paid a dowry or, or maybe some other things. Another place, when you marry, you bring her and you build onto your, your dad's house. So 
honey, ma'am, you're automatically going to be living with your in-laws. That's the cultural norm. Some cultures, you don't, you always take care of your parents. Indian cultures are very strong for that. I've had several Indian friends. One friend, I said, what do you do with all your money? You make so much money. He said, I send about 40% of it back to take care of my dad in India. Why? That's what is expected of us. Man, you could have so much money. Yeah, but my father wouldn't be taken care of. That's, that's what the way they think. To us, it's me, 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 me. But for them, if he comes to America and makes good money and doesn't send any back, he is a useless, abandoned son. That's the difference in normals and, uh, and social norms and mores and taboos. So when we deal with culture, when we deal with dating versus courtship, it, we must look at it in the Bible. We don't care about what America says. When I was, I told, I think last time I said, I had my first girlfriend when I was 10. I kissed her. I kissed her a lot. As a stinking 10 year old, I should have been slapped, beat, whipped, and my parents should have been slapped, beat. Hey, no way nobody's kissing my little girl till she's engaged or courting. Ten-year-olds kissing each other on the bus or the field trip to Washington, D.C. with the safety patrol. Going over to parties, playing kissing in the closet in fifth grade. God almighty. That was 1985 and 86. That ain't right. But that's America. And nowadays kids are losing their virginity at 12 and 13. And not to be vulgar, but even in our community, Middle schoolers are performing oral sex in the bathrooms. That's our culture. Do you really want to learn from that about dating? Absolutely not. So let us look at dating versus courtship. Okay, there's a difference. I personally, so I'm speaking as the pastor of our church, I personally make a big distinction between dating and courtship. Dating appears to be a purely Western cultural creation. Other cultures don't date. It's purely Western. It is purely, purely Western. Though not entirely bad, dating can callous your heart and severely detract from your relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I see a serious problem, especially, now we don't have it so much anymore, but I see a serious problem when a high schooler girl, spe specifically girls, because girls have the softer of the hearts in the sexes, I have a problem. There's something wrong when a girl cannot be without a boyfriend. What is so broken in her that she has to have a boyfriend? And he dumps her, she breaks up, she has to have a boyfriend. And she, uh, when I was in middle school, we called that girl a floozy. Now, she wasn't having sex. That was in the mid-80s. But there was something wrong. She was easy. Now, she might have just been holding hands, but that girl will date anybody. What's broken in her? Maybe daddy. Maybe daddy never loved her. Maybe daddy never gave her what she needed. Maybe daddy never said, honey, you can be anything. Honey, I love you. And maybe daddy never put the security in her. And so she's always looking for security in other boys. And that gets into psychology, but we can prove it biblically too. What is wrong when you can't be by yourself? We've proven in the first lesson that you are complete in Christ. You don't need anything to be complete. A boyfriend and a girlfriend will never complete you. When you get married, the Bible says they complement you. But you are complete, you are content in Christ. Jesus Christ completes you. Now, if you think you have to have a boy or a girl to complete you or make you whole, that's one of the stupidest lines of Hollywood acting. You make me whole. That's blasphemy. Ain't nobody make me whole. Jesus Christ made me whole. That's why I drug my feet so long in marrying my wife is because I was like, ah, is this the best there is? No offense to her, but I'm already whole. I'm not needy. I don't need a woman. I want one, 
but I don't need one. I've been doing pretty good with God. It would almost be an insult to Jesus Christ saying, I love you, Jesus, but it's not enough. I need a man. I need a woman. Lord, I, I look forward to sex, but I love just being single. I want kids one day, but Lord, I, I, like, I like just serving you. I like coming home and worshiping you for three hours if I want to. Lord, I'm not really sure I like this girl that much. You're going to have to sweeten the deal. You better make sure that's her, Lord. And that's why we joke about having three rounds of dating. We had our first round of dating, and then I broke it off because I just wasn't sure. And then we had our second round, and then I got sick with meningitis, and I was like, ah, I, I got some issues I got to deal with. And then finally we settled in, and the third round was just right, and that led into engagement, and then we were married. Thank God for it. You're already complete in Christ, and so there's something wrong with you if you have to have a boyfriend or you have to have a girlfriend to feel important. That just comes back to basic Christianity. If you're complete in Christ, you'll raise your standard so high, it will have to be God that supernaturally brings you an Eve. Or it'll have to be God that supernaturally brings you an Adam. It'll have to be God. If you're out there trolling for her, or you're out there ChristianMingling.coming for him, you've got a weak walk with Jesus Christ, and that thing needs to be fixed. How many folks have been hurt when their boyfriend broke up with them? when the girlfriend broke up with them. There's nothing in the Bible that says you should fall apart because somebody broke up with you. Now, divorce, yes, because God hates it. But God never said He hates it when boyfriends and girlfriends break up. Your heart gets broken because you prematurely and ill-advisedly and unauthorizedly gave your heart to someone you didn't need to be given your heart to. Your heart is not yours to give away. Your heart belongs to Jesus Christ. You can only give it to who He tells you you can give it to. So let's look at this next sentence. The difference between courtship and dating is motive and heart condition. You date for fun. This is one of my points of wisdom. You date for fun. We might add you date because you're needy. But you court for commitment. Now, we'll, we'll look at it here in a second, but let me go ahead and throw the definition out there, the difference between the two. Courtship is when you're prepared to get married. I don't believe in dating. I believe in courtship. And courtship is for when you're prepared to get married. You're looking at this thing ending in marriage. Now, courtship does involve dating. But courtship, when we use that term, it ups the ante. It raises the level. It makes it more than just, just cheap dating. You date for fun. We understand in our culture, which is just one of a thousand disposable cultures, you can be dating five guys at once. You can be dating six girls at once. You can be playing the field, but you're not committed to any of them. And you can be dating a girl or dating a guy, and you have no intention of ever getting married. Well, uh, the first and the only real serious dating relationship I had in college was with a girl. She was a Christian. She, was, she ran track for tech. And uh, it was fun. We flirted with each other at the end of my freshman year. And then we kind of picked up the relationship my sophomore year. And we were clean. We, we never even held hands. We never, I don't think we ever even kissed. So it was no, no, it's nothing I'm ashamed of. And my wife knows about it, so I don't mind to tell it as an example. But we, we were hanging out, and she loved God. And she, uh, she was really fervent for Jesus. And she ran, and I ran. And she was pretty. And she, she kind of, you know, fit me. But... The thing is, as we began to grow in Christ as boyfriend and girlfriend, and really we just, you know, in college you don't really go anywhere. You don't have any money to, so you just hang out at this house. You hang out at FCA or you hang out in the quad. You hacky sack together. We date and go for a run or something. But as I began to grow in Christ and, and I, I began to say, you know what, could I see myself marrying this girl? And that just came to me. And though I liked her, 
she had a laugh I couldn't stand. And that's just me being 19 years old. And the funny thing is, I'm a funny guy. And so she was always laughing. And every time she'd laugh, I'd cringe. Oh, and it was getting on my nerves. And but I could not not be funny because I'm just funny. And she'd always be laughing. It's like saying, why am I always doing that? It's hurting myself. And so that was just part of the one of many things. And we actually had planned an official date to go to see a play, and it was a month off. And by the time that official date came, my heart was no longer with this girl. But I couldn't figure out how to call it off with her. And by the time we go on this date, I'm not even interested. And but of course, by then, she's just really smitten. How could you not be smitten? Here <laughs> with this humble guy. And I felt bad because I kept asking myself, could I see myself marrying her? I can't. And, and, and I, I look back and I think, well, that was really mature of me. That was my walk with God. That was the wisdom of God coming out in my life because I'd say, can I see myself dating her? I can't. Excuse me, marrying her. Can I see myself marrying her? I can't. Then why am I dating her? Why am I messing with her heart? Why, why am I pulling her? Because it's evident every time we're together, she really likes me. And that's becoming more and more evident because I'm liking her like this less and less. I still loved her as a sister. She was a great girl. But when you're both in love, you don't realize how gooey you are. But when one guy is drying up and she's getting gooier, it looks really gooey. Or vice versa. The girl can dry her heart up and he's just really gooey and it's really disgusting. When you're both gooey, it's just a gooey mess and you don't recognize everybody else says, man, get a room or something. By the time it came, I said, I can't do this anymore. In fact, we went on the date. It was miserable for me. And we was a double date. In fact, the guy that we double date with is now a doctor here in Cookville. So that tells you how long ago that was. He went to medical school and is now a doctor. And uh, I dropped her off at the dorm and I could tell she was wanting a good night kiss. And I could not bring myself to do it because my heart wanted to be clean and be fair and be honest with my sister. And I just said, well, good night. And I didn't let it end the best way. I kind of hung her out to dry like an immature 19-year-old would till she finally got the clue that I wasn't interested anymore. And it was, it, I did it wrong. And, and I would, if I could change it, I would do it all over again to protect her heart. But the thing was, I said in my heart, I cannot see myself marrying her. Then why are we dating her? All right, I got to do something. I don't know what to do. I can only, my wisdom only goes this far. And now I need help. And so from that point forward throughout the rest of college, I didn't date anybody unless I could see myself marrying her. And that's how you have to be. You have to look at this thing. And that's what makes dating different from courtship. You enter into the thing because you're a Christian and you're not a floozy or a player. And you see this thing ending in holy matrimony to the glory of God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. You're only looking at that person you believe Jesus Christ would have you with the rest of your life. If they don't line up with the Bible, you don't even take two looks at them. They might be handsome. They might be pretty. You get one look, that's handsome and pretty. They're not a Christian, so you don't look again. Otherwise, you get to where you walk by sight, and the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. A lot of this will come back to having a strong walk with Jesus where you're content and you're complete, and you don't need somebody. Not in an arrogant way, but in a Christ-glorifying way. You say, I don't need anybody. I have Jesus. That way, He has to knock you over the head and say, I have someone for you. Even Adam, he had to knock out and put asleep. And he woke up and said, am I dreaming? What is that? That's going to be my wife. In the American culture, we generally fear commitment, so we date. Insecure people hop from one dating relationship to another. They break up with one boyfriend and get with another. Uh, we even have in America the rebound relationship. Everybody's heard of that. 
and now it has such a negative connotation. I just talked to one man the other day. He said, I just told my girlfriend, I refuse to be your rebound relationship. We're done. How did that come into our vocabulary? That's not biblical, the rebound relationship. A lot of folks get divorced and they're remarried within the year. If you can remarry within a year of a divorce, you are messed up. Divorce is a painful, wretched thing, and there's something broken in you. And that's why most folks who've been divorced once and they get the rebound thing, they don't do it right in Christ, they end up having four and five and six marriages. We, we the Western culture, invented the rebound relationship. And what happens typically is the guy is so used to having someone, when he gets dumped, he can't be alone. Or the girl, she's so fickle and needy, she's not used to being alone, she has to go find somebody. The thing is, it only perpetuates that selfish neediness because she never slows down enough to grow in Christ. Only Christ can perfect you. No relationship on earth will perfect you. Me being married to my wife that I love with all my heart, that does not perfect me. That compliments me. We're a team, but my walk with my wife does not perfect me. It does not complete me. It does not make me whole. It makes me married. It makes me happy. It brings me joy but it does not make me whole. I was whole before I got married. And should we outlive the rapture or, or, or die before it and she goes home before I do or I go home, we'll still be whole though our spouse is in heaven before us. Because relationships don't make you whole, only Jesus Christ does. When you're secure in Jesus Christ, people can stab you in the back, you can be all alone on Sunday night and enjoy it. I used to love coming home to be alone. I used to love being alone. Because I had time with God, I had time to think, I had time to clean, I had time to study. Honestly, I kind of feared getting married because I thought, what's this going to do to my private life? <laughs> I'm not going to have one anymore. Am I ready for this? I really enjoyed having a walk with God that way. I didn't get there overnight. I didn't get married till I was 31. So it took some time to develop that. Dating is for immature people. That's a rough statement, but I believe with all of my heart, otherwise I wouldn't have written it down. Courtship is for those who have mature heart seeking commitment. And you can ask yourself, am I ready to be married? Am I ready for this thing to end in marriage? Are we talking about it? No? Then break up. That's just how this thing is. If you're not mature enough to get married, you don't need to fool with dating. Now that preaches really strong to our high schoolers. I, I don't think any high school on the planet is mature enough. They can't even come home on time. They can't even clean up the room. They don't even do their laundry. They don't pay their bills. They don't know any authority. They don't know any responsibility. How can they have a relationship? They don't even know how to take care of themselves. They, can't, they still have to be reminded to wash behind their ears, shave and brush their teeth. And you're ready to take on the responsibility of a girlfriend or a boyfriend? You can't even get your homework in on time. And you're going to start dating? Dumb. You should only pursue someone if A, you're the man. So that means women, you don't pursue anybody. I know that's not American, but we're Christian. We're not American. Nowadays, it's very common in our culture for the women to propose. Well, that's what the lesbians do, too. That's also why we have hyphenated last names. I can't just be Akilah Johnson. I've got to be Akilah Vincent-Johnson because I still got my name. That name came from your dad. So either way, you're going to have another man's name. When I got born again, it wasn't Jesus. It wasn't Christopher sinner slash Christian. It was Christopher Christian. 
I didn't get to keep my old nature. And when you get married, you don't keep your old name. You leave dad. You leave dad and you cleave to the new man. So why do you keep the daddy's name? Ego? Namesake? Even in the body of Christ, we're seeing that. Because we're, our, my fame is attached to my daddy's ministry. So I have to be blank dash husband. What a dishonor. I wouldn't marry any woman who wouldn't take my name carte blanche. My wife, women of God, they look forward to taking their husband's name. They, they start, you know how you ladies are, you start writing their, your name with their last name. You don't even, you don't even put the, your name dash. No, but no girl, no girly girl full of love and romance daydreams about the, you know, Hillary Rodham Clinton. We'll start calling you Rodham. No, no girl daydreams about that. I'm going to be a Jezebel with a hyphenated last name. Those girls don't do it. They're starting to think, how can I get daddy's wealth and his wealth and still be the man and wear the man pantsuit? I, I, I've told many young men, don't marry a woman who won't take your whole last name. My wife looked forward to it. Oh, I can't wait to get his last name. That's a lot of M's. Amanda McMichael. Mm. <laughs> Number one, you only pursue if you're the man. Ladies, that's going to take faith on your part. It means you've got to sit there and walk with Jesus till, till somebody comes along and takes note of you. And there'll be many times you'll have to cry out to God, Lord, um, nobody's noticing me. And the Lord will say, I notice you, and you just, don't worry, your pretty little head, I've got him. i got him over here. He's a lot of work, honey. As, trust me, you're not ready for him yet. He's not ready for you. I haven't finished putting him together. Pray for him. I can't get him to cooperate. Oh, yes, Lord, I'll pray for him. And, and you single women, you ought to be praying for your husband right now. I prayed for my wife for years before I ever met her. Just like right now, I pray for my daughter's husband. He may not even be born yet. But I'm already praying every day. Not every day, almost every day I pray for my daughter's husband. That he's a man of God and serves me in the ministry. Because I don't want my daughter to go somewhere. I want them to serve me in the ministry. A, you're the man. B, you're prepared for the potential relationship to end in marriage. Are you ready for this thing to end in marriage? If not, why are you looking to date? Because you're lonely and you want sex? Those aren't two biblical reasons to date. Anything else will be a general waste of time. Dating for fun always ends up hurting someone's heart. Now, if you're mature and you're courting, then you both are under the same understanding of this is a courtship. We're, we're dating... Because we're trying to see, we're believing God, is, is this the one for me? And she's saying, are you the one for me? So we're walking and God's in the middle of this. We're courting because we love Jesus Christ. We're courting because we, we believe that there might be something in you that God would have for me the rest of my life. And there might be something in me God would have for you the rest of our life. But we're not sure. So we're not dumping our hearts into each other instantly. We're walking this thing out cautiously. And we're prayerfully considering this thing on our own. And we're submitting it to leadership. And we're submitting it to mom and dad. We're submitting it to maybe church leadership. And we're walking this thing out. We're not falling head in, over heels in love. But we're walking this thing out with discretion and with patience. That way, if as we start to come together, the Spirit of God, who we're both open to, says, mm-mm-mm. We can both walk away and say, I just I don't think this is God. And she'll say, you know, I'm feeling the same way, but I didn't want to hurt you. Well, hurt me now rather than we get married and hurt each other and we can both walk away now and still love each other as friends and brother and sister in Christ and still continue serving God together that way that's courtship you were engaged you, you thought this might be God and you walked it out cautiously it turned out it wasn't God 
but you can still go on being friends rather than somebody's heart being ripped out and run over 15 times and slandered on Facebook and now he's off dating somebody else who's my former best friend. That's a mess and that goes on in the church. Now this thing called courtship, which you see some places in the Bible, is just so much better. Because in the end, if you're dating and you're both Christians, your heart's got to be for your sister in Christ. And if you're a woman, your heart's got to be for your brother in Christ. And in the end, you want to have the testimony, we did this thing honorably. And we honored one another and we never sinned against each other. We never sinned against each other's bodies. And if it wasn't the will of God, we were able to both agree, this just doesn't seem to be God. Well, man, I've really enjoyed dating you. My heart is attached to you a little bit. I agree, I agree. But let's just call this thing off. Pray for me, I'll pray for you. And let's just be friends. Let's not let this thing end awkward. You do courtship right, even if it doesn't work out, it doesn't end awkward. You're still friends. And then when she sees he finds the real woman, she rejoices because she says, that's my brother. And I've been praying he'd find that woman. It wasn't me. So I was hoping he'd find something awesome. And there she is. And then she starts dating or courting this guy. And it turns out that's the one. And he can rejoice and say, my God, that, whew, that's, the, that's it. That, that, I'm not that. And that's what she needs. And I'm not that. And we can end this thing joyfully. And not have all these hurt relationships in the kingdom, not people being betrayed, not people being stabbed in the back, not people hating or losing church members because we dated in the church instead of courting. We were able to do this thing tactfully. When you court, you keep it submitted. Uh, we would use the term accountable. When you date, you go off in a corner somewhere and make out and it's nobody's business. So, Dating for fun always ends up hurting someone's heart. For the woman to pursue is unbiblical. It's the man's job to pursue the woman. And courtship includes dating. But dating is not courtship. When you are courting, you'll go out and have coffee. You'll go on a dinner. You'll, you'll at some point maybe introduce families. You might go to the zoo, go to the movies or whatever. It does involve dating, but dating is not courtship. Prearranged marriages are not biblical. We have to deal with that because some places we'll teach this will be African nations or East Asian nations where they prearrange marriages. That's not biblical. Not biblical. Even Abraham did not prearrange his marriage. God did. Not Abraham's marriage, but Isaac's. Even Rebecca did not prearrange Jacob's marriage. But he said, go find me a wife that God has chosen from my kindred. God had her waiting both times. It was not a prearranged thing. That's a pagan thing. That's a Hindu thing. Prearranged marriages, it's even a Ugandan thing. We actually threw this in there because this went to Uganda and we were having to deal with that issue. It is not New Testament, it's not even Old Testament. There are no prearranged marriages. Even Esther, when she married King Ahasuerus, it was not prearranged. He selected her and he selected her for her beauty, her favor, her grace, and her humility. Even the king did not have a prearranged marriage. Father and mother should, should have a say in who you court if they are God-fearing Christians. My mom, the first time she met Amanda, she said, Honey, I like her. By then I was done dating. I was like, eh, the first round. Eh, oh, honey, I really like her. And my parents, they love her. They loved her when I, before I was dating her. And after I was dating her, the third time I was dating her, they really loved to have her. They, they, but they're God-fearing Christians. Be willing to submit the relationship and its merit to all godly authority in your life. If your parents are not believers, their counsel concerning God's best for you will not be accurate. Maybe your parents are pagans. They don't want you marrying a Christian. We, we've had situations like that. Maybe your parents aren't spirit-filled, or maybe they're Seventh-day Adventists or some kind of weird sect of Christianity. 
Not to say non-spirit-filled Christians are weird, but they don't speak in tongues. Maybe they don't want you to marry a tongue talker. And you are a tongue talker. Say, listen, Mom and Dad, I love you, but other than him speaking in tongues, do you like him? Yeah, he's great. We just don't agree with that tongues. Well, I do. And if you think he's great apart from that, that is a biblical thing. Let me marry him. And so we throw that out there. If, if they don't believe like we do, their, their, their judgment may not be 100% accurate. All right? I want to get real quickly in this next section called Scriptures for Raising Your Standard. This is where I would encourage folks, if you're spirit-filled, don't marry an on-tongue talker because you're not equally yoked. This, this first passage, we got just a few verses to run through. 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 18 says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Unbelievers doesn't just mean sinners. Unbelievers can be folks that don't believe the full gospel or the gospel like you do. We've had Christians leave our church because they didn't like evangelism. Well, they weren't equally yoked with us. We're big on evangelism here. And it's possible that you're dating someone, they don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but you do. You don't want to get too deeply in love with them because they'll pull you away from the things of the Spirit of God. Solomon had a heart for God, but he started marrying women that didn't, and they slowly pulled away his heart from God to where he used to serve Jehovah in this beautiful temple he built. At the end of his life, he had allowed those floozy women to erect pagan idols in that temple of his. How does that happen? Real slowly marrying a dumb woman, a pagan woman. So be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion has light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believes with an infidel, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separated, says the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you and be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. Right there, Christians have no business dating non-believers. Bar none, easily said, shut, open, dry, closed case. You have no business being interested in a non-believer. Once you get over that, you ought to find someone who believes just as fervently as you. I am so thankful my wife loves missions as much as I do. My wife is jealous I'm going to Uganda in February and she doesn't get to go. That is awesome. I love that my wife loves to travel as much as I do. If she didn't, we would be unequally yoked in that area and that could make it hard. She loves to travel. She loves to be over there. She doesn't love it as much as I do, but she loves it. She doesn't bat an eye at it. She doesn't fret. Now, she might complain about the big cockroaches in the bed we have or the big spider. She might come out of the Nigerian shower and say, Honey, there is a big spider in here. Could you come deal with it? I was like, I ah, just shower around it. What? I said, That's what I did this morning. What? You didn't take care of it? Why would I bother him? He's not bothering me. Spiders got to have a shower too, you know. <laughs> you know, there is a difference there, but we're equally yoked. You want to make sure as a Christian you find someone that loves God as much as you do. That someone loves the Word as much as you do. You don't want to marry a Christian man that's like, oh, do we have to talk about God again? My wife was upset last night because I was studying the Bible on the couch and she was studying the Bible on the bed. Why won't you come study the Bible here? I'm comfortable here. We had a little bit of a disagreement because I wouldn't come study the Bible on the bed with her. I said, well, are we going to talk about Mary and Martha? No, but you could read your Bible on your side of the bed and I can read my Bible why can't I just read my Bible in here? And that was the extent of our disagreement last night and this morning. It bled over into this morning. I'd rather fight over that than the in-laws or whatever. You, you want Marriage is tough enough when it's the will of God. You want to have God being the source of your problems, 
fighting over where we're studying. Where we, I don't want to pray right there. Let's pray here. If we pray here, we'll fall asleep. Well, just rub my feet while I pray. I'm not rubbing your feet while we pray. Come on. I want to walk around and pray. Can we pray in tongues? I want to pray in English. Fine, we'll pray in English. These are good problems to have. Let's look at our next verse, Proverbs 2. Discretion shall preserve thee. Understanding shall keep thee. To deliver thee from the strange woman. Do you know, men, some of these women are just strange. But we get the definition of the strange woman here in Proverbs 2. Even from the stranger, which flatters with her words. So she's a sweet talker which forsakes the guide of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Gentlemen, the strange woman in the book of Proverbs is a Christian. She's a believer. But she left the guide of her youth and she forsook the covenant of her God. She speaks Christianese, but she no longer serves Him. But she knows Christianese well enough to entice you, gentlemen, and to pull you into her bed of iniquity and to flatter you. Oh, God understands if we love each other. God understands if, if, we, if we want to test drive each other. God understands. you got to be careful of the backslidden Christian. We, we might take a little bit of a liberty and say there's also a strange man for you ladies. Uh, one Christian rap song I used to listen to talk about, they used the term Sunday school pimp, pushing up on all the girls in the Sunday school class. And would use basically, it's a good Christian rap song, talk about uh, going to Sunday school just to pick up on young innocent women. That goes on in churches. Now, here we drive it out, or we preach it out. But it does happen. Folks, men will go to church just to troll for women. And some women would love nothing more than to bed a godly man just to do it, just to spite. For her house inclines unto death. This is a Christian woman. She had the covenant with God. And her paths unto the dead, none that go unto her return again, neither take they hold of the paths of life. That's a scary thing. We're looking at verses to raise our sentence. Proverbs 7, 10, 11. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot. Not a harlot. She just dressed like one. She wasn't an honest-to-goodness whore. She just had the clothing of a whore. We deal with that in our churches today. Women dressing. So they leave nothing to the brother's imagination. Ladies, you've got to know when, when we can see your curves, when we can see it all, uh, even, even trends, you've got to start disavowing current trends because trends will take you down the path of whoredom. When you dress that way, we have found you, ladies, in Proverbs 7. Gentlemen, do not find yourself drawn to those curves. Don't find yourself drawn to a woman that would advertise with her curves because if she'll wear those curves for you, well, you just happen to be the one she caught. She was trolling for anybody. So you just happen to be the fish she, reel, she reeled in. So she really doesn't care about you. She was just going fishing. A fisherman doesn't care what he catches. He's just out there fishing. Now, he'll throw some stuff back if it isn't big enough, but it's not like he's got his eye on one fish. He throws the lure out there to draw bass. Sometimes he'll catch one, sometimes he won't. When he catches the one he wants, he keeps it. So, gentlemen, when you're pulled in by her with the attire of a harlot, she wasn't wanting you. She just wants something, and you happen to catch the bait. But I'd also encourage you ladies... Uh, Wear it a little loose-fitting. We don't need to be able to see what cup size you have. Amen. We don't need to be able to look at you and know what cup size you wear. We don't need to be able to look at you should our eyes wander and know what kind of panty line you have. Not trying to be vulgar, just being honest. 
And thank God we don't deal with any of that stuff. Some of it we deal with still here. But we used to back in the early 2000s, girls walk around, you could see their thong coming up. They purposely had a little tummy shirt and had the little thong line. So you knew exactly what kind of underwear she was wearing. That's the attire of a harlot. She was trolling. My wife and I tell little Lydia, only two type of people wear belly shirts, floozies and rednecks. Rednecks not by choice. They're just bellies a little too big, shirts a little too shrunk up. So whether you, either you're a floozy or a redneck, don't, wear your, don't show your stomach off. Leave some, something to the imagination for that man that God has for you because when he finds you, he doesn't want you to have been eyeballed by a thousand other men before him. And if you dress that way when you're, before you're married, you'll dress that way after you're married. And for me personally, I do get on to my wife and I say, nope. She'll go, she, actually my wife shops. She comes home and tries it on. What do you think? Nope. Take that one back. That looks good. What about that? Nope. Nope, don't like that one either. Too tight. Nope. And now that we've had a baby, honey, things are a little bigger now. Uh, so you need something a little baggier now. Hey, no problem. She doesn't care. She dresses to please me. She's not trolling for some man whore. Amen. Proverbs 7.10 and 11 again. And behold, there met him a woman with the attire of a harlot and subtle, crafty, sly of heart. Notice how you dress tells off on your heart. How you dress tells off on your heart. She is loud and stubborn. Her heart's cry, sly and crafty, but she is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. I might say for you ladies, you're too busy looking for a man. You can't stay at home and believe God. You, you got to get on ChristianMingle.com. You got to get on Facebook and go trolling. It is not the woman's job to find the man. It is the woman's job, according to the Bible example, to serve God faithfully with prayers and fastings and Bible study in the house of God and the Lord bring you or your man across your path. But if your feet won't abide in your house and you start chasing it, you're not walking by faith. I, I really feel sorry for Christians who meet each other on ChristianMingle.com. They're both desperate. And unlike the commercial advertisers, God doesn't need your help. Sometimes the advertisement is sometimes God is waiting for you to do something. I am. I'm serving in the house of God. If God Almighty is not big enough to get me across the path of the woman He's ordained for me, I'm serving the wrong God. Maybe He hasn't brought you her yet because you're too broken to deserve her. Maybe you're too messed up and you're just going to cause calamity, so He's purposely hiding her from her till you get on ChristianMingle.com and find a broken person like you. God knows what He's doing if we really trust Him. God knows what He's doing if we really, really trust Him. Amen. Let's keep reading. Proverbs eleven sixteen. We're trying to raise the standard here. These are verses to do so. A gracious, humble woman retains honor. She stays anointed. Men, look for a humble woman. Uh, that will eliminate most American women. Look for a humble woman because she will retain honor. She will stay anointed. You want a woman who's a servant, not so you can boss her around, but because servants glorify Jesus. Men, you should be a servant too. Ladies, on the other hand, to make yourself more attractive in the eyes of God and for the man of God He has for you, you should be that humble woman. You should retain honor. You should stay anointed. The anointing of God is what will draw the man to you. I, am, I was never drawn to some floozy. I was never drawn to a vulgar woman. I was not drawn to a loud, clamorous woman. I was drawn to a humble, meek servant of God who was evidently anointed and loved God with all of her heart. I was drawn to how my wife worshipped the Lord in, in service, how she'd always have her hands up and crying. That drew me to my wife. 
She was humble and she stayed anointed. Proverbs 11.23 in the NIV, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout, so is a beautiful woman who shows no discretion. So women, you can be as pretty as pretty can be. You can be a supermodel with fancy jewelry and makeup and all the right clothes. But if you don't have discretion, you're a pig. <laughs> the word discretion means the quality of behaving or speaking in such a way as to avoid causing offense or revealing private information. It's all in how you carry yourself. It doesn't matter how beautiful you are. Sometimes opening your mouth makes you ugly real quick and makes you ugly real quick. Proverbs 21, 9 and 25, 24. This verse is repeated twice in Proverbs. It is better to dwell in a corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a wide house. Why marry a woman and live in a mansion if she's just going to be a hater? She's a brawling, contentious woman. That's why we do court. We want to get to know people before we marry them. And when we teach on courting in depth, we don't just court one-on-one. -on -one. We get around each other. We, we serve in the body. You want to see that woman from every perspective. You want to see that man from every perspective. You want to see how they handle rebuke from a senior minister. You want to see how they handle the job. You want to see what makes them fall apart. You want to see how they handle a family reunion. When all you do is date one-on-one, -on -one, all you get is that one-dimensional facade. Just like all of you, you put on a pretty face when you come to church, but when you go home, there are other sides of you that come out. And with all, if all you ever do is date one-on-one, -on -one, all you see is one dimension. That's why the house of God has been provided so that when you court, you court in the house of God. You go on dates, but you come here, you serve together. You can see when that girl you like gets in trouble with her department head, how does she handle it? When you see him misbehave and take a rebuke from his pastor, how does he handle it? Otherwise, you never know what's there. Because when you get home, the clothing comes off, literally and figuratively. When you come home, the makeup comes off literally and figuratively, and you get to see what you're stuck with. You want to find that out in the house of God. It might be a good thing to believe God. Lord, let me go on a mission trip with this woman. Let me go on a mission trip with this man. Arrange something in the church so we can go on a mission trip together. Let me see how they handle the third world, because that'll be like our home the first five years. Remember, we'll be living on third world standards. <laughs> Proverbs 21, 19, it is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Uh, wisdom ups the ante. He says, forget about the mansion. Just go live out in the bush. She's not even worth living in the same house with. So don't be that contentious woman, ladies. Proverbs 31, uh, 10 through 31. This is the Proverbs 31 woman. She is a woman of virtue. Both men and women should know that passage. Men, so they can know what to look for and pray for in their wife. Women, so they can be valuable. That's a very famous passage. We've written lots of lessons on that. We, they're available. Study it. Know that. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, men should have a job. You hear that, ladies? That man should have a job. It doesn't mean he has to make more money than you. Things are different these days. But he ought to work harder than you. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, men should have a job. If not, then gentlemen, go hungry. Go hungry. The Bible says if you don't work, neither do you eat. Regardless of what our government now says, the Bible says if you don't work, go hungry. And honestly, we don't feel bad to not give people money around here anymore if they don't have a job. We're pretty strict around here because I am not going to take your tithe and give it to a shiftless human being. Someone who wants to just stop by for a handout and they smell like cigarettes? No. If you get hungry enough, you'll skip a pack of cigarettes and go buy you some rice. You can buy rice for 99 cents and rice will fill you up. 
But we've entitled too many people in this nation and even in the kingdom. Amen. 1 Timothy 4.2 Ladies, men should be treating you with honor and respect and all purity. Ladies know that passage. Men know it too. Paul told Timothy, a young single pastor, the elder women entreat or draw near as mothers. The younger women call near as sisters with all purity. Cleanness. That means he doesn't touch you. I, maybe hold hands, but I tell you, hugging, you got to be careful. And I'm totally against kissing. That's strict. But the Hebrew word to kiss means to kindle a fire. Kissing is designed to end in intercourse. Because you don't kiss your mama like you kiss your wife. You kiss your wife or your husband the way you kiss them because you want it to end in intercourse. And if it can't end in intercourse, why are we kissing? You're just destroying yourself. And you're awakening things that should never be awakened until you say, I do. Amen. The word to kiss in the Hebrew means to kindle a flame. And you know, when you kiss grandma, there ain't nothing in your heart that's on fire. He says, yeah, grandma, ugh, that's all wrinkly. Even, you know, some of you girls, I kiss my little girl. I'm sure I'll always kiss my little girl. I kiss her. I don't think anything I like when I kiss my wife. Just, even if my, my little girl slips and I kiss her on the mouth, sometimes I'm like, well, that's really wet and snotty. Ugh. Kissing, that's a critical thing to watch out for. Real quick, got to finish up. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 13. These are the qualifications for bishops and deacons. Men and women know these. This is what a man of God looks like. Ladies, study them and know them. This is what your man should look like. 1 Timothy, basically the whole chapter. This is what your man should look like. Titus 2, 3 through 5. This is a list of characteristics for a godly woman. Men, know that. That's what your woman should look like. Ladies, look at that so that's what you should be. Don't race to buy a Yugo. If you remember what a Yugo is. A little Yugoslavian-made car about the size of three of these chairs. It's big in the 80s. Cost about three grand in the 80s here. It's a Yugo. It's a piece of junk. Stood is a Yugoslavian car that made a brief debut in America. It was a, equal to poverty and junk. You know, had a couple rats that ran a wheel in there. And that's how you went everywhere. Don't race to buy a Yugo when God wants to give you a Lexus. Just a little allegory there. That concludes our third lesson on singlehood. Father, bless our time here. May this word sow and soak into our heart richly as singles. Father, help us to prepare ourselves for that perfect man or that perfect woman you have ordained for us. Father, we thank you for blessing our time here. Raise up these men and women to be godly men, godly women, godly husbands, and godly wives. Father, to help them learn to be content until that time. In Jesus' name, amen.